Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader, or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So Jeff, in this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast, you talk with Seth Kahn, and Seth is going to be at the Leading Learning Symposium in Baltimore in October, and he's on faculty. He is, and we're extremely lucky to have him on faculty. When I think about the word innovation, Seth is the first person who comes to mind. When I think about transformation and what needs to happen, uh, particularly in the association sector, which is a you know, big part of the, the audience for this podcast and for our work in, in general, Seth is really leading the charge there. He's got a whole association transformation initiative. And in this interview, we talk a little bit about that. We talk about innovation. His last book, uh, Getting Innovation Right, was a bestseller. And so we talk about, you know, why is it that organi- organizations so often get it wrong? What, what can they do to get it right? What are some examples of some organizations that have gotten it right? And then, of course, we do talk about, you know, how innovation applies in the world of learning and education, which uh, Seth, as you might expect, is fascinated with and and has great things to to say. In my experience with Seth, too, he's really good at being in the moment and really listening to what's going on. So I would think that would make for a great conversation. So I'd say let's uh, head on over and listen to what you guys have to say. This is Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am thrilled to be talking with Seth Kahn today. Seth is going to be joining us as a faculty member at the upcoming Leading Learning Symposium and sharing his uh, his insights on uh, business model innovation and a range of other topics there. And Seth is one of those guys that is just you know so creative, so brilliant. Um, I have such a great deal of respect for it that, uh, you know, Seth, I think I just have to say welcome to you and, 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 and ask you to kind of introduce yourself and and tell listeners who you are and what you do. Thank you, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to be here. I have great admiration for you, and I'm really glad that you and I are learning from each other because I learn a great deal from you that's pertinent to my own work. Um, I have been working since uh, 2002 with association leaders and really uh, a lot since 2008 and 2009. I have about 100 CEOs that I've worked with in various uh, strategic initiatives. My focus is on strategy and innovation and my big focus these days is on helping association leaders reinvent their organizations for the 21st century. Mm. So what, what does that involve? What, what, what do you think associations need to be doing at this point to, to reinvent themselves? Well, there's there's really uh, two big areas that I look at. Uh, the first is 
uh, what's coming out of Silicon Valley and the private enterprise world because membership is huge. Uh, Netflix, American Express, Facebook, LinkedIn, Uber, they're all using different kinds of membership models. Uh, there's literally hundreds of them. And they are both a threat to associations, but they're also a source of new ideas, new practices, new business models. And so uh, part of reinventing an organization for the 21st century is recognizing the market and you know where there's red ocean, where there's blue ocean. And there's a lot more red ocean in the membership space than there ever has been in the past. And then the second area that I focus on is helping associations leverage the value that they're generating for their members for very new stakeholder groups that are large and will provide resources, money, time, dollars, knowledge, uh, so that these organizations become relevant not just to the people who sign up and pay their dues, but to other parts of the global economy that rely on them for bringing their knowledge and value into the world. And, 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 and so what would a, an example of that be? Well, uh, my favorite example has always been the work that Barbara Bird Keenan did when she was CEO of the Institute of Food Technologists. Mm. I had the good fortune to be involved with a little bit of that. Uh, Barbara's a true visionary. And, uh, you know, uh, initially she has her uh, food scientist members who are very interested in the survival of her organization, obviously, because it provides education and networking and all the usual mm. perks that belonging to an association does. And what Barbara said was, I want to play on the world stage. I want to be relevant not just to food scientists, but I want to be relevant to anybody who's concerned with feeding the global population. And so she began an initiative that was called the Power of Three that brought together organizations under three areas, food, water, and energy. And that began an effort where she was recognized by USAID, uh, the World Health Organization, uh, Monsanto, Archer Daniels Midland, uh, even the, the government of Scotland and governments of other countries uh, as a contributor towards a global set of issues that all of these organizations and countries were invested in. And as a result of her work in the Power of Three, and as a, and she, one of the things she did there was to build the Global Food Traceability Center, uh, she became a player on the world stage. And, mm -hmm. and that had major uh, organizations with deep pockets invested in her success. Uh, so that's an example of, of leveraging that value for other players. Well, wow. I mean, I, and I, I, you know, I'm always preaching to organizations that, you know, what they are doing with uh, their education, their, their knowledge base um, is certainly leverageable out beyond uh, just their, their core membership base. Um, but but it, it's tough. I mean, you know, you've got a book called Getting Innovation Right, um, which suggests that, you know, most of the time maybe organizations get it wrong. Um, how how does an organization like you know what you just described? I mean, how did that come about? Was there a process? Was there something that other organizations can do that they can embrace and say, okay, we're going to be able to be more innovative going forward and, and leverage ourselves in, in the ways that you're describing? Yeah. So um, in the book came out of working with CEOs, working with over a hundred of them, and I saw that there were some CEOs who consistently and systematically did introduce innovation into the market that succeeded. And by succeeding, I mean that it generated enough revenue that they were able to invest it and grow it and that their customers were happy. Mm. And there were other CEOs who were like gambling. They'd come up with a new idea and they'd throw it against the wall to see if it would stick. And their odds were pretty much the same as gambling, which is, means that they got it wrong more than half the time. Mm. And so I started asking the question, what makes the difference between these two? And I discovered seven practices, and that's what the chapters of the book are about. 
But I can even break it down more than that, and I can say that there's basically two things that distinguish a leader who gets it right from one who gets it wrong. The first thing is that the one who gets it right makes a commitment to getting it right. They're explicit about it. They dedicate resources. They hire people who have innovation skills. They talk innovation. They recognize that innovation is a non-negotiable part of succeeding in the 21st century's business marketplace. The second thing that they do is that they engage their customers, and for associations, it's their members and other partners, in the innovation process. They don't wait until the end and then pitch something over the fence and hope that people buy it. They get them involved up front with focus groups, with conversations, with brainstorming sessions, and then they involve them in the development of the new products and services so that when it rolls out, it's rolling into waiting hands, not people who are being tapped on the shoulder and turn around and surprise and say, what's this? Right, right. You know, and it's funny too. I mean, customers, members uh, are usually eager to be asked, eager to be involved, and and often they are more receptive to to innovation and change than I think organizations um, think they're going to be. In fact, I find a lot of times uh, it's it's the staff, uh, maybe it's the board uh, that, that can't get their uh, arms around the idea of innovation and and making it a reality in the organization. I mean, what what do you find in terms of I guess that's kind of leading change, leading innovation, getting people to embrace it um, within the organization. How do you how do you make that happen? Well, there's there's kind of two different circumstances to generalize that you find leaders in. One is that they're in deep trouble, and their their numbers are starting to go down or flattening out, mm. and they feel like it's an emergency. Like if I don't figure something out, I'm going to lose my customers. Uh, the other is that you have organizations that are doing well, and they say, okay. Um, now is the time to invest in innovation. And of course, the inverse of that is that you have organizations that are doing well and they say, why should I care? I've got a good thing. I'm not going to mess with it. And in this day and age, that's really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think we see that. Um, we, in, in surveying and, and doing interviews, we've seen a, a certain level of complacency, particularly in the, um, the area we deal in, which is, you know, learning, uh, education, um, uh, professional development, um, and, and a lot with what's, you know, happened traditionally around meetings and, and things like that. I mean, we certainly see a need for some transformation to, to happen there. I mean, when, when you look at the association uh, market in general, um, or the association sector, sector in general, and I mean, let's say, look out five years, and, you know, your work in helping associations to, to transform has been hugely successful. Um, I mean, what, what would a transformed association sector look like uh, from your perspective? Well, it's even hard these days to think five years ahead because we're true. in an exponential pain. You know? I mean, you have to, one of the things that I, it's, and this is counterintuitive, is that if you're looking ahead five years and you want a comparable jump, you should look backwards 20 years. Mm. And if you think about that, I mean, so we're talking 1995. That's when the internet landed on the desktop. Mm-hmm. To go from there to where we are now is dramatic. And that's the kind of change we're going to be looking at in five years. I, I always think about, you know, the association of the future. I'm a Star Trek fan, right? So, and I'm old Star Trek as well as new. So imagine Scotty, the engineer, and he's looking at the warp core and he's saying, uh oh, I'm looking at something I've never seen before in the engine. It's, I don't understand what to do. So he taps on his badge on his chest. And instantly there's a hologram of 16 engineers who all have experience with that same warp core who are distributed all over the universe. And they spend five minutes with him and they Uh, say, I've seen this before, I've seen that before. And then he goes, thanks a lot. And he hits his badge and it's done. And that's the association of tomorrow, right? So the question is, 
how are we going to make that possible? How are we going to make it possible so that people can get just-in-time assistance from qualified experts who are geographically distributed? Uh, and if, with this new breakthrough that we just had with an engine, they might literally be distributed around the solar system, right? Uh, how, how do we get the input that we need uh, in, in that kind of fashion, just super low friction, you know, almost frictionless uh, to generate knowledge and impact? Yeah, yeah, and and I, I mean I love that example because obviously learning was at the core uh, of what you just described, and, and social learning really, you know, being right. able to collaborate with others, which of course you know should really be at the core of the of the association value proposition. Uh, that really Absolutely. is kind of the engine, yeah, that can drive association value. But you you mentioned you know early on, I know you've been doing this work, uh, looking at what's going on in, in the corporate world um, with membership models and kind of what's working there, what's driving value uh, in those corporate membership models. Can you talk? a little bit about that and particularly if you see examples where where again learning is kind of that engine that's creating value out of the membership model i'd love to, to hear any any insights or examples you have around that yeah so i call that a generative business model and a generative business model is is goes beyond a transaction so a transaction is i give you something you give me something and we're done generative is where we actually create we generate something together and this is what you see happening in the private sector uh, and it's it's what you see many associations doing today, uh, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And many of the ones who are doing it haven't fully embraced it. And and when you generate new knowledge, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at generating deep knowledge, and you can look at generating broad knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so deep knowledge is where you take existing knowledge and you get more out of it. You say, here's a process that we're using. Like you know, here's a process that we're using to extract oil out of the ground and if we change it this way we can apply it to extract gas out of the ground that's deepening your knowledge base broad is when you look for adjacencies and you ask the question who else in the world would be interested in what we're doing and how might we work with them how do we create new connections Um, so organizations in the private sector that are creating that experience are literally um, pushing the frontier in a profession or a trade and that's what trade associations and professional societies need to get themselves if they want to if they want to compete and and one thing i'll just throw in there is that i believe that professional societies and trade associations have an edge on this they have assets that those private sector groups Mm -hmm. have they have trust they have a, a captured target audience they have uh, the experience and the knowledge of their members. So they're actually in a position to win this race, but they have to be um, aggressive. They have to say, I want to be first to market. You know, if I'm, if I'm the, uh, the American College of Cardiology, I want to be, be leading the pack in right. cardiology breakthroughs. It's not enough to say we can ride the wave and we'll do fine. That's, that's going to lead to disaster. Yeah, that's interesting. We we often we have what we call the alpha question um, for strategy, which is basically, um, do we lead our market or are we led by our market? And, and, and there are times when either one could work, but I think if there's ever been a time to lead your market, this this is it. Um, particularly in this in, in the market for lifelong learning that uh, that we deal in now. I, I'm wondering. I mean, as an extension of what you're saying, um, you know, you've got corporations, the commercial sector that's potentially, you know, pursuing membership models. You've got associations who need to, you know, kind of up their game. I'm wondering what the grounds for collaboration 
are um, in, in innovating and in, in transforming. And I mean, one of the things that I have in the back of my mind, and you may have encountered this in, you know, among your clients, is you know, we have a lot of medical uh, societies who increasingly are connecting into you know, health systems, hospitals for delivery of education. That really is, you know, that's how they're getting, uh, that's the channel for a lot of their education. And they're increasing uh, opportunities for you know, using the data that's come out of that, for example, um, to, to figure out new opportunities together going forward. I think there's a tremendous amount of potential for collaboration uh, between medical societies and, and the health system in general. I mean, what, what do you think about collaboration um, between associations and you know, the broader business sector? I think that's it's absolutely uh, it's current it, with what is needed and what is happening. There is a new model uh, rising up around some of our largest intractable problems, which also represent our greatest business opportunities in the world, and it's it has to do with coordinating. Uh, very different kinds of organizations so that you're you're getting a systemic approach mm. there's there's wide recognition that the old model of one organization is a solution all by itself is not is no longer enough right and so private sector uh, nonprofit uh, public sector collaborations is the order of the day and it requires a completely different kind of leadership and it's a challenge for people who are used to thinking in isolated organization mode to move into this systemic approach. But where they do, it is like magic. It's like a, we, we really it's a quantum jump in impact. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, some amazing things are going to be able to, to happen through collaboration in the coming years. I think also of associations in the um, in higher education, the, the university sector. There's some uh, tremendous opportunities there uh, as well. Let's talk about um, you know specifically uh, education um, for a minute. Then I want to kind of go down an education learning path here as, as we uh, sort of wrap things up. You know, I know you don't necessarily specialize in education, but um, I mean you're obviously very tuned in um, to, to what's going on out there um, in the association sector and broadly. I mean, when you look at uh, the innovations that have come down the pipe uh, as far as education goes, as far as learning goes, what what are the, some of the things that, that you're excited about? Well, I think uh, one of the things I'll have to say is that I'm a believer that everything is education. I'm one of the people. (laughs) I think I really, I mean, if you look at the human journey, right? I mean, from infancy to to the grave, it's all about growth and it's all about new levels of integration, new new wisdom, you know, and applying it and getting uh, greater results. So I I think education is a coveted place at the center of the human journey and at the center of civilization's journey. Mm. Um, You know, we have hit just in the last 20 years, the largest democratization of education that the world has ever seen with the internet. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a number of major universities that have been offering free online classes uh, for uh, five to seven years now, places like MIT. I mean, these are not small and significant uh, you know, areas. Right. And, and we have people in the third world who've been taking these classes. And in the next five years, we're going to double the number of users on the internet from three billion to six billion. And uh, you know in an additional three billion people that there's going to be 17 Marie Curies and 16 Albert Einsteins and 43 Martin Luther King Juniors. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to see over the next five years uh, a reshuffling of uh, impact 
and uh, understanding what that means on a global scale. I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm also really excited about new technologies that are making education uh, much more available. There's, I know that like SpaceX is their current uh, prize is going to go to someone who builds an open source software that can teach eight to 12 year olds how to read, write and do math without a human being present. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they're going to unleash this on the third world once it's out there. And you're going to, so you're going to see this explosion of basic skills across the planet. Um, These kinds of things, this democratization of the channeling of education, the idea that knowledge can travel just in time to exactly where it's needed is going to be amazing. I mean, we don't normally think of it now because we live in this, but, you know, when I was a kid, which is, so we're just talking 40 years ago, um, you know, you took a class and you might not use it for 35 years. I mean, yeah. you don't know when you're – I took calculus in college. How many people start using calculus <laughs> right out of college, right? But, yeah. but many of us end up using it at some point in our career. Um, but now we don't have to wait. That kind, that kind of delay is going to evaporate and we're going to be able to access exactly what we need as we need it. And that is, I mean, that is a, a huge uh, Im- impedance that is lifted from the system of civilization. Uh, and I, so I'm just, I just think we're going to see exciting times in the years ahead. Well, you, you know, I couldn't agree more. What, what, what do you do for, for your own lifelong learning? I mean, is it technology driven or what, what are you, what are your lifelong learning habits? I guess I would say. Well, um, I read and, and listen all the time. So I have, um, you know, I'm right now I'm, I'm really kind of in a deep reading mode with three books. Uh, I read about other people. I'm reading about Elon Musk and I'm mm. reading becoming Steve Jobs, but I'm also reading a book about mindfulness called The Mindful Therapist that unpacks uh, the practice of mindfulness in a way that is just incredibly articulate and developed beyond anything I've ever seen before. Highly recommend that book. But like when, like that book was written for therapists, and I'm not a therapist, and it's also got a lot of neurobiology in it, and I'm not a neurobiologist. So a lot of the stuff doesn't go in right away. I have to read it like four and five times to really get what he's saying. So what I'll do is I'll buy the book so that I can listen to it and read it. And I do both simultaneously. So I'm in the car listening to chapters and then I'm, you know, standing in line reading the book. Uh, And I will surround myself with different sensory kinds of input in the areas that I want to study. And of course, like everybody else, I mean, I'm always looking at TED Talks. Uh, You know, I'm having conversations with you. You're opening up my eyes about new lifelong learning systems. I mean, to me, it's it's like you're just in a bath of this stuff. It's just constantly going in. Yeah, it's funny. I have to say, doing podcasts like this, I think, are one of my uh, uh, best learning activities. You know, talking to somebody like yourself and just you know having to think about it and uh, and, and pick up you know uh, new resources and that sort of thing is just a, an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, as, as we're wrapping up here, I mean, we've got you coming to to, to be part of the um, the faculty at the uh, Leading Learning Symposium, which again, you know, we're just thrilled uh, and amazed to have you there. Um, Let's talk about you as 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 a teacher for just a minute. Um, you know, and I know we haven't spent uh, we we have an, a faculty summit coming up, and we're going to get intensive about this. But um, uh, but just you know, right now, somebody who's showing up at um, the, the symposium, you're facilitating, you're teaching. Like you know, what, what do you like, and how do you like to interact with with folks in the room? Well, uh, I like what a friend of mine, uh, Lisa Kimball, called liberating structures. Mm. I, I like I like to have just enough structure that we get down into the uh, the kind of the powerful uh, knowledge and experience that people have 
but it's not just chaos. It's not just living at the edge where anything goes, that it's right. focused in a particular area. And um, I also like high levels of collaboration. I mean, you know, some of my favorite moments facilitating, you know, high pressure retreats is when the participants took it away from me and mm. said, you know, hey, look at this is what can we, we have this opportunity. Let's go after this. And you and there's kind of a thrill that, you know, it's you're no longer living inside of a premeditated structure, but you're actually living into uh, a frontier. Um, so when people bring that level of enthusiasm, that kind of mind state to it, I mean, to me, that's like heaven. Well, I think, I mean, we've got a great group coming who I know we're going to want to engage and want to be collaborative. And I know it's going to be a real treat for them to be able to, to interact with, with you and the other faculty there. Um, you know, Seth, it's always uh, just uh, fantastic to talk with you. As, as we're wrapping up here, um, where, where, are the, where are the best places for people to, to find you and, and connect with you, you know, on the web or social media or whatever the case might be? Well, uh, probably the uh, the best. I've got two places right now that are really going well. One is my I've got visionaryleadership.com, my website, which is under constant revision, and it's it's go, it's growing out into uh, I've got visionarytalk.com, which is a weekly video blog I do, Board Excellence Today, which is a bi-monthly video blog. But those are all on visionaryleadership.com. So if you come there, you can find that, and you can also download all of my articles, which I'm constantly updating. That's kind of my home base. But uh, Facebook is really coming alive for me. Uh, right. Facebook, yeah, it's got some new functionality and and basically everything that I post goes through my Facebook account now and pops up uh, and I'm seeing a lot of traction there I have uh, I have uh, my getting innovation right webpage on Facebook which has got 16,000 followers and most of them interestingly enough are from India and Brazil the vast majority um, so so I, you know Facebook was kind of an experiment for me I didn't really invest in it I just threw up a couple of business pages but it's really taking off and I'm always up for making new friends on Facebook, so that's a great place to go. Um, so those are the, those are kind of the two big ones for me. Well, great. Well, Seth, again, thanks so much for taking some time to talk today, and, and really looking forward to uh, the time that we'll spend together at the symposium in October. I'm looking forward to it too. I, I just can't wait to be there. Thank you for having me. That wraps up our interview with Seth Kahn. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com/episode five. That's the word episode and the number five. And uh, episode five actually marks a milestone. Um, this is uh, the, the first episode we're re- releasing after the official launch of the podcast. Um, so we just want to celebrate that fact. And while you're there, you will see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you're hearing, we would be grateful if you would subscribe. It'd also be great if you'd be willing to share the, the podcast. We've actually had quite a few people listening now that we've made it live that were actually out there on the interweb. And uh, if you have been one of those people and, you, and uh, you're getting good value out of it, uh, please, A, go to iTunes and, and give us a rating or a brief review. You can just go to leadinglearning.com iTunes for that. And then also share it. Uh, if you happen to be somebody who uses Twitter, you can just go to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that will automatically pop up a tweet with some text in it already. You can modify that text if you want to, or just go ahead and send it right out to the world. Or if that's not your thing, go to LinkedIn, go to Facebook, put it on your blog, put it in your newsletter, however it is that you communicate with people, we would be truly grateful if you would share the Leading Learning Podcast with them. So thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.